When you think of someone who can help you prepare for this one precious life, for the next step in your journey, planning where you want to go in life, I'm sure you think of a lot of people. I'm sure you think of your parents or close peers or you know someone in your faith or someone in your, your past that inspired you. I'll tell you one of the places I didn't expect to find it was in a former monk. That's who we're talking to today, a former monk. His name is Jay Shetty. I think Jay speaks so much wisdom in a world that's incredibly noisy and where we've got all kinds of feedback. Jay Shetty does an amazing job of speaking the truth. If you're new to Jay Shetty's work, he was a monk for a number of years, born and raised in the UK, lived the life of a monk. And in his own words, he says, when I trained as a monk, I found that monks were more able to remain centered and calm amidst all of the chaos. And now more than ever before, to me, that sounds like something we all should have skills in. One of the reasons I started paying attention to Jay and his work a number of years ago, where I saw his podcast, uh, I would say, come on the scene seemingly out of nowhere, straight to number one. I started listening to it and I have not stopped since. That is one of the many reasons you're going to enjoy our conversation. He's so insightful. He speaks like like finished written prose and he's just a great guy. So down to earth. When you think monk, I don't I don't know what you think when you think monk. I'll I'll, I'll save my um the story that I was telling myself about what a monk is like and then you're going to listen to this episode from Jay Shetty and go, "Oh my gosh, I Cool. I, I'm, I'm all in on Jay and his work. Um, super fun conversation. And I can't wait for you to take this ride with us from wherever you are. Maybe you're in a, in a negative or anxious state because of the COVID-19 virus. Maybe you're feeling frustrated or tired, or maybe you're on top of the world. In either case, this episode is going to help you train your mind for peace and purpose every day. So I'm going to get out the way. Before we do, just a super quick word from our sponsor. Hey, before we get into today's episode, I've got something to share. Life isn't about finding fulfillment and success. It's about creating it. To that end, I've got a new book out and it's called Creative Calling. It became an instant bestseller when it was released earlier this September. And for those of you listening to the podcast, if you dig this podcast, then this book is the perfect companion. I mean perfect because it takes the ideas we discuss here on the show and it organizes them. It takes my life of learning and studying creativity, talking to hundreds of the world's top creators in so many disciplines, and it organizes these ideas in a really clever and very practical way that I know will help you take action in pursuit of your dreams. So my ask is that you pick up a copy or two, or heck, 10. I'm not trying to be coy, but here's why. This is not about a transaction. This is about a message and a movement. See, creativity is a force inside of every person, such that when it's unleashed, it transforms our lives and delivers vitality to everything we do. It's my belief that establishing a daily practice around creativity is therefore our most valuable and urgent task. It's as important to our well-being as exercise and nutrition. Now, I've put everything I have into this book, everything. It's been 10 years in the making. Um, just a couple words here from Richard Branson. He said, if you want to focus on creating amazing experiences, creating amazing businesses and relationships, Chase's book, Creative Calling, is an engaging guide to doing just that. Brene Brown said, Chase's experiences and his commitment to creating make him the perfect guide as we set out on our own adventures to learn how creativity has the power to change 
everything. Now, those reviews are just the tip of the iceberg and you can read a couple hundred other five-star reviews on Amazon. But again, this isn't just about buying the book. It's about unleashing our most powerful force, our creativity. And I believe it's super important that as a community, we rally around ideas that we believe in. And so picking up a copy of Creative Calling, and more importantly, being a messenger for spreading this message, this is my ask of you. So thanks very much. And now let's get into today's show. Hey, Chase. Thank you so much. And really grateful to be here, man. And yeah, I'm so excited to have you back on my show and reconnect. And yeah, this is exciting. I'm glad that the one thing that's definitely happening right now is so many people are finding time and space in their calendars to actually connect with people. And this is a great example of that. So yeah, really grateful to be here and big love to your whole family and community listening at Create Live. So thank you so much. Oh, man. Well, uh, all of those feelings back at you. Looking forward to being on your show whenever that happens. In the meantime, uh, we've got people tuning in from all over the world. And for those of you who are joining, um, if you are at creativelive.com slash TV, that's a great place to be able to uh, operate in our interactive chat. Just go up and click live chat. You can ask me questions. I'm moderating it while we're talking here. And we have a couple of folks behind the scene feeding me your questions. So feel free to ask away. I'll do what I can. I'm, I'm sure the comments will be overloaded because, Jay, you're a very popular fella. Um, but if you've got questions for Jay, I'm happy to feed them to him as best I can. So check that out. Of course, we are streaming to Facebook and YouTube Live and whatnot, so we'll be monitoring those comments as well. Uh, but I just, uh, I think my understanding of your background uh, is limited prior to monkdom. So I, I know that your UK um, is, I think that was your your birth city, is that right, in London? Yeah, born and raised in London. That's that's where I grew up and that's where my family is. That's where my wife's family is. And so we try and visit as often as we can. But tell me a little bit about your childhood. I think, again, my my personal experience with your work uh, comes not dissimilar from your bio when you started um, broadcasting like you were your own media outfit um, I, four or five years ago. Now you hit the radar, my, my personal radar. I've devoured so much of what you've done since then. Uh, I'm a member of part of your your uh, network. I get messages from you all the time via Facebook and um, and those are really welcoming. But I, I'm hoping as a interested party here to go back to your childhood. What was it like um, growing up and how did you get from whatever childhood you did have to monkdom because to me, I don't know, there's some, some, um, that's not a typical path for many in the Western, uh, hemisphere. So talk to me a little bit about, uh, how you got there and what your, what your childhood was like. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, born and raised in London and I grew up in a family where, you know, my parents were working really, really hard to provide for us. I grew up in a somewhat rough neighborhood and the primary school that I went to, I was consistently bullied for being overweight and that was a big reason. And the other reason was I was one of the few Indian people in my school as well. So I was often bullied for being being Indian or people not knowing where I was from. And so my younger years were quite tough in that sense where, you know, there were lots of school visits. My mother would have to come in and see how I was being treated and I'd get beaten up and bullied consistently. And so when I look back now, I, I look back at that time and 
it's interesting because I don't feel like a lot of those scars stayed with me. And when I wonder why that is, I think a lot of those experiences really helped me increase my empathy and compassion for people who are bullied or offended or treated in a certain way because of the color of their skin or how they look or how they are. And I, and I experienced that all the way till about, I'd say till about 13, 14 years old. And at that time, I kind of got sick of being good. In terms of what I mean by being good, I mean by being a teacher's pet and performing well in class because I was still bullied and I still experienced racism. And so I started to rebel, but it wasn't natural to me. So I started hanging around with the wrong crowds and started getting into trouble and started making mistakes. And, and just, I would just say, just spending time and associating with people that my parents wouldn't necessarily recommend me to be friends with. And that was just my way of just feeling out, like what was the meaning of life? What was the purpose of life? And I didn't know that that was the question then, but now when I'm looking back, I was just in a phase of my life where I was like, why do I deserve this? Why am I getting bullied? And why am I experiencing racism? And why does it matter then what anyone does? And what is that kind of gonna lead me to? And so I spent probably the ages of 14 to 18 doing that, experimenting with drugs and trying out lots of different things and multiple relationships. And I just started to notice myself see that that lifestyle was not leading to a good end. I saw people who were getting into gang violence and getting into deeper trouble. And, you know, I was always still, you know, a good guy inside. I was like, well, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be here. Like, I don't think I'm going to last in this environment. And then a lot of my friends started getting into philosophy and spirituality when they were about 17, 18. And, you know, one of my friends basically forced me to come along to this event and I would go every single week to hear people speak and it would be entrepreneurs, CEOs, celebrities, people who were speaking about rags to riches stories. And I remember reading The Rock's autobiography and I absolutely loved it. And I read, uh, I remember reading David Beckham's autobiography, who's a huge icon obviously across the world, but especially in England at that time. And I was fascinated by how these people went through trials and tribulations and challenges to create the life they had. And so I was fascinated about that. But then I was asked to go to hear a monk speak. And my honest reaction was just, why would I want to hear a monk speak? Like, what am I going to learn from a monk? Like, what's he going to do? Tell me to focus on nothing? Like, you know, what's, what's this, what's the point? And so I was so against going, but I, told my friend, I was like, I'll only go if we go to a bar afterwards. So I'm basically coming there as like a detour on our way out for a night out because it's an earlier event. And then, you know, this is the beauty of life-changing moments that ironically, they're always humiliating and the joke's on you. And so this moment that I talk about is so life-giving uh, and life-redirecting for me, it was the joke's on me. I walked in and I was completely floored by this incredible human who is sharing these amazing messages about serving other people and making a difference in the life of other people. And he really challenged me when he started saying that what's the point of your strengths and your passions and your skills if you don't use them in the service of others? And that really stayed with me that night. And I remember going to the bar afterwards and reflecting and not drinking and just sitting there just thinking like, well, what am I doing with my life? And so I was completely not meant to be a monk. And it wasn't my natural path. You know, my parents said I had three options growing up. I always say doctor, lawyer, or failure. And so I was going on the traditional path like any other young person in London. But this was one of those moments, and I think we all have these moments 
that completely changed the trajectory of our lives. And I'm so grateful I ended up going that night thanks to my friend. So I, I'm fascinated by this, the big moments. And I wrote it about it in my book as well. I've had a couple um, for me that was a death of someone very close to me. And then it was a near-death experience for me personally. And whether it's uh, being introduced to someone who changes the way you think in a moment or one of these sort of or a trauma as an example, um, I'm obsessed with our like how that calls us to awareness and wouldn't it just be so much better if we didn't have to have those big painful moments you said humiliating and the jokes on you how do we like a why is that and b is there a different way can we be more tuned and does it not require that we get slapped around by our karma uh, to bring us into awareness yeah, it's a great question. I love that. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. And, and, and I'm so excited to even think about reflecting on answering it. But in my opinion of why it happens is because pain makes us pay attention. Right? Like pain makes you pay attention. I'll give an example. If you're like, if you've got a little cut here, you, you may not think anything of it. If the cut gets bigger and it starts to sting, you take it a bit more seriously. Now, if, this, if it gets infected, then you're like, okay, I need to do something about it. And often there are these signs in our life. There are always signs, signals, and reminders in our life. They are always there, but they're so quiet and we're so loud that we don't hear them. And so then those signals have to get louder and deeper and harder to finally get our attention because we're not present with ourselves. The only way our body and mind get us to be present is through pain. And so the only antidote is to be proactively present with ourselves, is to actually sit with our emotions, is to actually get to know ourselves intimately and personally. Because if we're always rushing around and moving around, our body and mind don't have the time to tell us what's going on. It's why when you've been rushing around for months and then you finally stop, and you get the flu or you get ill, right? Have you ever had that to you? Like oh, you're big, yeah, that, and always. nothing happens. And all of a sudden you go on vacation and you start coughing and you get a cold. It's because your body finally got a chance to speak to you. So we don't listen to our mind and body because we're too busy. And so when we finally listen to our body and mind, then we get an opportunity to address what's going on. So to me, that's why pain makes us stop and realize and forces it to happen. Tragedy transforms us because it forces us to pay attention. But we can change that by proactively being present with our mind and body. And that's how we can create that urgency without the pain and without the tragedy. Has that been uh, a, uh, a part of your path, your desire for awareness, uh, for self-awareness or for quiet? Is that what uh, I guess you connected with that evening, uh, after the, the monk's presentation when you were at the bar, is that, was it real for you then? Or did it take some time for you to lean into that? And so what was your transition from being made aware of, you know, the monk's point of what are you doing with your life? How can you live in service of others and how are you using your gifts? What was the gap between acknowledging that uh, in, in the moment and then living it? Was there, was there some gap or was it instant for you? 
Great question again. Chase, these are, uh, I'm so happy I'm talking to you right now. You're inspiring me so much. Uh, uh, so there's, there's two parts to any transition in life from that I've reflected on, and that's inspiration and then transformation or motivation and then transformation. And it's, it's what you're referring to when you're talking about this moment in my life. So in that moment, I was inspired and I was motivated, but I was not transformed because transformed requires you to do something right? You can become inspired and motivated by listening to Chase. You can be inspired and motivated by listening to Creative Life. You can be inspired and motivated by watching a video, but you can't be transformed by that video because transformation requires you to do something about it. So I walked out of that inspired and motivated, but I went back to my normal life, right? I didn't change the next day. I didn't suddenly start meditating every day. I didn't suddenly start living with the highest values the next day. I was being the person that I was, but I started to experiment. I was inspired enough to go and start spending my summer and Christmas vacations living in the monastery in India with this monk. And so it started the journey. So I would still be doing anything and everything. So I was literally going from, you know, I was a student at the time. So I was interning at companies and I would go from bars and steakhouses and wearing suits to my internship to then spending parts of my summer and Christmas wearing robes, waking up at 4 a.m. and living as a monk. But I was going in between the two worlds because I hadn't made the transformation. I was simply inspired by a new lifestyle and a new alternative. And actually I think, and, and sometimes I don't get this right, it's so beautiful and important to test and experiment with alternative ideas and lifestyles without having to fully commit or without making it too little. So I feel like one thing we miss out a lot now, and right now, specifically right now, we have so much time for this. We don't get a lot of time to do immersive experiences. So we choose to do something for one minute a day rather than one hour a day. We choose to do something one thing a year rather than one thing a month. And my belief system is, is that if you get immersed in something, for a deep, longer, extended period of time, you figure out much quicker whether it connects and resonates with you than if you did it once a month. And, and my favorite example to give for this is like, if you met a potential partner, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever partner that you wanna be with, if you met them and you were told you could only spend five minutes a day with them for the next 30 days, would you know if they were the one? Would you know if you want to spend the rest of your life with them? Would you fall in love? Probably not, because what are you going to learn in five minutes? But if you spend a weekend with them, a week with them, in a very short amount of time, you will learn so much more about that person and the reality of who they are, which is what we're all learning right now, being in close quarters with our partners and our families. You see every side. And so when I went and lived at those short bursts as a monk, whether it was one week or two weeks or three weeks when I was in my summer vacations, those gave me such a deep insight into what that life was, just like an internship at a financial company gives you an insight to working inside that organization. That's brilliant. And, and I often think of this through the lens of uh, pursuing a passion or some um, aspiration that you have in, a, in life and through deconstructing my own successes and failures and the successes and failures of many of the world's uh, best, you know, Sir Richard Branson, Arian Huffington, we have many mutual friends out there who have spoken on this. And what you find out, you believe that they, oh, I'm all in, they push all the chips in. But if you actually talk to Richard, and I've spoken to him at length about this, 
there's so much about this testing and putting your toe in the water and as he calls it protecting the downside like even if i'm going to do something like i want to sure i can be all in emotionally but i can also make it so that um it's it's not like if i'm inspired to start a cafe the way that i would approach it is like all right i'm going to start baking some scones and yes. and providing tea for my friends rather than uh taking a lease out on this big piece of property and hiring a full staff that's not the way to do it so it's uh, it's inspiring and reassuring to know that that uh, that that is how you stepped into your next chapter as as a monk. Yeah, absolutely. No, spot on. I love those examples that you just gave. I, I think that's half the reason why we don't get started is we, you know, put this big plan or big next step ahead of like, okay, now I have to, yeah, like you said, like I'm build this new cafe and we're going to have 12 on every street corner in New York city. And it's going to be the next big thing. And you know, who, who can live up to that? And I think the same was for me. I wasn't judging myself for living, trying out two lives. I wasn't judging myself for my mistakes. And maybe I did judge myself at that time, but I've learned now to just release myself of that judgment and allow myself to experience and explore without putting that in, in even in this time that we're in right now, like I think I'm you know, encouraging people to just explore and experiment in this time rather than judge yourself or feel guilty because guess what? None of us planned for this. No one knew it was happening. And that's kind of life in general, but we're all feeling it at the same time right now. And so you can't expect yourself to have a plan, but you can allow yourself to explore, experience and experiment. And that's actually what's gonna help you find the plan or what you want to focus on rather than forcing yourself to feel you need to focus right now. Uh, so much wisdom. Um, again, if you're just now joining us, I'm Chase Jarvis, lifelong photographer, creator and entrepreneur, founder of Creative Live. Uh, and I would invite you to head over to uh, creativelive.com slash TV, and that will allow you in the interactive chat there to fire off some questions from my guest today. The one and only inimitable Mr. Jay Shetty is in the house. Um, Jay, thank you so much for sharing your early childhood with us. I um, want to let you know we've got people tuning in from every corner of the planet um, New Zealand, there's an Australia, uh, we've got, of course, the UK is in full effect. Um, we've got a lot of LA, some Seattle, Tampa, um, in short, thank you for, uh, inspiring a global audience. Um, it seems to me that there's this, uh, from what you've just been talking about with your own experience of finding your passion starting to pull on some of these threads at first by dipping your toe in the water um you know going to the monastery if you will and as you said wearing robes uh in the summers and treating it almost like an internship uh there's a, a period where you are in that experience and then it's and something shifts and you go all in or you 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 in this case you know maybe you move to the monastery um, what was it for you that was the why behind that motivation? Yeah. So, so when I graduated, you know, that's when I had the two options to continue working in, you know, finding a job in finance or business or whatever it may have been, or, or I had this now new alternative that I never imagined to go and live as a monk. And the why behind that decision was believing that, I had become convinced that the best use of our skills 
is in the service of others. And I hadn't seen anyone at that time that I felt was doing that in the finance world or the world that I was exposed to. And I'm not saying there aren't people, there are people doing incredible things. And now I've rethought some of these things that I had before. But the bigger reason was twofold. I didn't want talking about overcoming ego and building your habits and learning to meditate and building emotional intelligence and mastering the mind. I didn't want these to be concepts that I had to play around with in the evenings and the weekends while I was busy trying to make a living. I wanted them to be my life. I was like, I want this to be the lifetime where I'm able to break through these barriers. And I think that's going to take some serious work and commitment. I don't think it's going to happen just in my evenings and weekends because I want to go so deep. And the second part was I always want to serve so much. I want to be able to give with everything I have and I want to live a life of service. And the monks that I was living with, they were, you know, building a sustainable village to support villages. They were building food distribution programs that feed hundreds of thousands of children across India. They were doing so much service. And I was like, I want to be involved in giving back and doing good. And the life of a monk to me, when I saw it, was just so attractive because these people were literally giving up their own just, you know, their own uh, potential, not ambitions, it's the wrong word, they're not giving up their ambitions, they're giving up the ambitions of society and transferring that ambition into service. And, and I was just inspired. So for me, the why was those two things. Why I believed I needed to do a lot of work, which required a lot of time, and because I really wanted to give back and serve. And that was the model that I was exposed to as a young person. And this is why I think it's so important that we expose young people to multiple models of success and service. Like I've been saying this often recently, like, you know, we have the Forbes rich list, but why don't we have a Forbes service list, right? Like why isn't there a service list? Why isn't there a list of joy and happiness and giving? Because what we reward is what we repeat in society. If we keep rewarding something, that's what we're repeating is the focus. And I grew up in a hyper success driven oriented culture. And I redefined success through the monks as being about service and giving. So that became my new why. Well, it's such a, this is a perfect natural uh, on-ramp, especially if you look at the lens, not just of what you said, but what have you, uh, of what you said earlier with respect to if you are only spending five minutes dating someone, then uh, it's hard to really get that immersion that's going to let you know that they, they are the one or that this is worth pursuing. Um, and if you look at you know what you just said, that earlier comment about dating, and you apply it to what we're now experiencing, whether it's um, you're secluded, um, whether you're with a, a you know, direct family, um, it's hard to argue that we all have a reason to pay close attention right now. You also talked about pain early on, and it's fair to say that this is, um, it, it's also worth acknowledging here that there are a lot of people who are really suffering right now and who this isolation and perhaps even uh, death and um, true, true despair, it's not just about isolation and social distancing. So uh, yet I feel like it's fair for us to, we can both hold that and acknowledge that in this time that we are in right now, we do have potentially the ingredients to pay attention. A little bit of pain, sometimes a lot, certainly a little for everyone. It is virtually universal. 
and we find ourselves uh, free from, and I use the word free in the, the sense of not constrained by our typical trappings. So is it your view um, or rather what would you say um, we have uh, an opportunity to do with this time? What, what, how do you think about it? Yeah, no, that's really well summarized. And I think it's it's our proximity with pain that makes us take it seriously in the sense that, you know, we were talking about this earlier just before we came on live and it was, you know, if you've lost someone in your family or your community, you take this more seriously than if you haven't. If you have an elderly person in your home who has underlying health conditions, you take it more seriously than if you don't. And so this is the first time where I feel the world has collectively been concerned with this specific thing. And most of us have the same viewpoint about it. And so it's a really interesting time to grow our collective compassion, our collective empathy, our collective feeling of our, for the first time, we are actually seeing that our actions have an impact on other people. Now they do every day. The way you speak to the Uber driver, the way you speak to the store assistant, the way you deal with the waiter or the waitress, the way you talk to that, that impacts everyone every day. You're in, but right now we can literally see that our actions impact people. And so we all have the opportunity to become more conscious, to become more awakened, to become more aware, to become more connected, to, to realize how close we all truly are. And we're seeing also how much, you know, there's all these posts about what's happening in Italy with the canals in Venice and the skies in, that are unpolluted. And you're also seeing the stillness in being able to appreciate what nature is trying to teach us from this or what the earth is trying to teach us from this. And hey, I'm not, I'm not in the mindset where I'm just thinking that. I'm also in the mindset of like, I've lost people in my community and family. Like my prayers and best wishes and love is with everyone at this time. And, and then at the same time, we can extend ourselves into this thinking of, well, what are we learning from this? What are we gaining from this? And my biggest one is that we're all connected. Our actions have a big impact on people around us. And let's now pay attention to everything that we may have been too busy to pay attention to about the environment, about the world we're creating, about consumerism, about the things that we think we need about filling our lives with things rather than people and experiences and memories. Because guess what? Right now we've got all the things we want around us and we want people. And yeah. most of the year around, we have the people we want around us, but we chase things. And so it's just, it's a good time to start just reflecting, answering those questions for yourself and, and giving us the time and stillness to actually reflect on it and, and reach out. Well, that is, um, also a great on-ramp into the the next area I want to explore with you because what you just laid out is the I think it's the tip of the iceberg with yeah. respect to what's possible right now and um, I, th I do I want to restate I think it's important that we can hold the suffering that the world is largely experiencing right now and a world of possibilities at the same time like we are, we were given this gift of being able to hold competing ideas in our mind at the same time. And so I think that's the way we have to approach it. Empathy, uh, humanity, connection, sympathy, and, and still try and do something special with this time we're given. And, you know, I've been following you for some time. And when I, when I 
think of you, I think of wisdom. Um, I think of a calmness. And given that we've got the attention of thousands of people who are listening right now, what are some of the things that you would recommend for managing this crazy time? I know that there are um, people who are, you know, uh, in very close proximity with loved ones, and that can be a fantastic thing, but you, know, you start carrying on for two to three months, and there may be some challenges. Um, I know a lot of people, it's easy to you know look on Instagram and see how much we should be making of this time, and if you're not transforming your business, you're wasting it, but there are people who are really suffering, so how do we manage judging ourselves or not judging ourselves? I was just curious if you could, um, explore a little bit of this with me and with those who are paying attention right now as we're talking online. Yeah, so first of all, I'd just say, like, you know, we have to all realize that this is also a realization that we're connected and we're also different. Like, if you threw a pebble or a stone into a puddle, a puddle is going to react differently to a lake and a lake's going to react differently to an ocean and an ocean's going to react differently to a waterfall and a waterfall's going to react differently to the rain. And, you know, it's, you know, because they're just like there are different bodies of water, we're all different too. And so when someone throws a stone at our life, we react differently. And the point being that no reaction to an unexpected event is right or wrong is something we just have to accept that you can't feel, you don't want to make yourself feel guilty or judge yourself. It's like no one had a plan up their sleeve. It was like, oh, I knew what I was going to do during quarantine time. So some people react fast and some people react slow. And guess what? Speed is not a good metric of whether you will succeed in the end or whether you'll be happy at the end. Some people react fast and they'll be happy and some people react fast and they won't. And some people react slowly and they'll be happy and some people react slowly and they won't. So there's no metric of like, if you reacted on day seven, this is going to be the best experience. It's not like that. So I think we have to take away these false timelines and these false kind of, you know, false beliefs that we all have around what this time is. The, the second thing for me, which really does make a difference, and if you didn't do this before, it's useful now, is in uncertainty, all you can create, in, in global uncertainty, all you can create is personal certainty. And what I mean by personal certainty is what in your day can you afford to make certain? And one of the favorite things for me is your practices, your habits and routines. So this acronym that I've been sharing, and it's from my book that comes out in the fall, but I'm sharing it now because it's so relevant to now, it's the acronym called TIME. So you need to make time in your day, and time stands for T-I-M-E, and each of them stands for something. The first is thankfulness. I think having a moment of thankfulness is so important. And part of thankfulness right now is not belittling someone else's pain, right? There are rules with pain. You shouldn't amplify your own and don't belittle someone else's. And that's often what we do in extremes. We amplify our pain to feel like the worst, and we belittle everyone else's pain. So maybe someone in, maybe your child is missing, I don't know, a school performance, or maybe they're missing a finals game, or maybe someone's upset that the NBA is canceled, or maybe someone's upset that they're not getting to graduation or their school prom or an anniversary. Allow them to feel their pain for it. Like allow them to express that and experience it 
and then explain to them to be thankful. Being thankful doesn't just mean like, oh, I shouldn't worry about being upset about whatever I've lost and I just need to be thankful. Allow people to express and feel their pain and then share with them to be thankful. And same with yourself. Give yourself the time to vent and to let it out and then to upgrade to, to gratitude, to thankfulness. I stands for insight, what we're doing right now. I truly believe that if you feel you're learning something every day, whether it's a new word, whether it's a new statistic, whether it's a new fact, if you feel you're learning something new every day, you feel you're growing, you'll always feel bigger than the problem. See, problems grow every day. And so if you don't grow in alignment with them, you always feel smaller than them. But when you grow with them, you'll always feel greater than your problems. So it's so important to have some insight every day. It could be reading one quote from a book. It could be listening to the Chase Jarvis podcast. It could be, uh, it could be just speaking to someone who inspires you. It could be watching a video, whatever it is. M stands for meditation. I really believe that meditation gives us the calmness that we all seek. There is, There are very few activities that stimulate calm. Think about that for a moment. Everything stimulates you, but there are very few activities in the world that actually stimulate calm. You watch TV, stimulated. You even read, stimulated. You... Unless you're getting a massage or a bath, which, which stimulate calm, there are very self activities that you can do. Meditation, uh, and I've been leading a 20 day live meditation every single day, we've been live for 20 days. And I've seen people just develop these new habits and I find peace and calm in doing it for 20 minutes with people. And guess what, you don't feel alone when you know that 30,000 people are meditating together. So third is meditation and E is exercise. I really believe in the power of exercise, movement, whether it's uh, virtual workout, whether it's dancing, whether whatever it is for you, like we need to get our body moving. We've all heard it before, but we don't do it enough. And now's the time to do that. So if you can build that routine in your life, that gives you something to be certain about. And you can add on one S times to make the acronym times sleep. It's really important to sleep and more important to sleep before midnight. I think too many people are up after midnight and even sleeping in but sleeping before midnight, the human growth hormone is at its most impactful. And so ideally sleeping before midnight, you're actually creating better sleep and deeper sleep. And try not eating just before you sleep or being on tech because both those things become more processed for the mind and body. So routines are a, are a big thing I'd say right now that would just aid our experience at this time. I love how you said that, aid our experience. We can't shape much of it but we can shape the things that are in our imminent or our own domain there like I'm, I'm glad you shared this from the book this is it's so perfect uh, just a quick recap thankfulness insight meditation and exercise and movement and i think this the chucking in the sleep bit there um is uh incredibly powerful i've i've we both have mutual friends i think you worked at the huffington post i've had ariana on the show before um she was talking to me about sleep before anybody else i knew in my life was she was like chase are you sleeping how you doing and i'm like oh yeah sheepishly sort of like navel gazing and kicking the st you know the stones at my feet and uh she's like i can tell you're not sleeping you need to and it has <laughs> been it's this moment I've, has been a gift to yeah. practice sleep. I started tr uh, tracking my sleep. I've got an aura ring and, um, you know, the saying, what gets measured gets managed. And I'm now actively going like, oh my gosh, it's like 1045. I, I have a goal to get to bed before 11. And, I, I, and now it's like, uh, it, I'm in, 
competition with myself, but specifically around trying to create a routine, uh, those things that, as you said, we can manage. And it has been huge for me. It's been so impactful. I was trying to do it before, but starting miraculously on March 10th, my sleep got really good. Can you tell me what you do for sleep? Since this was an add on to the uh, time acronym, what's your sleep schedule and what's your, uh, do you have a, a, a bedtime and a wake up routine? Yeah, for sure. So I, and so I love Ariana's book, Sleep Revolution too. I think it's unbelievable if you really want to convince yourself that sleep is important because I think a lot of us undervalue sleep or we undervalue sleep before midnight. We undervalue quality sleep. We don't understand what it means. And so I think it's really important. And I think she has a line in there that says something like, this is how you sleep your way to the top. And she talks about how, you know, how successful people can sleep their way to the top, which I love. Uh, But yeah, so for me, sleep is, you know, I, for a long time, obviously living as a monk, we didn't sleep for long, but we meditate for long periods of time, which kind of created that deep sense of rest. But now that I don't have that, I have a very simple schedule where I sleep by 10 p.m. and I'm up at 6 a.m. And I really find that eight hours and 15 minutes, to be exact, is like my sweet time. And I've noticed that and I've measured that and I've checked that to see what works for me. Because at times when I had seven to nine hours, I was like, all right, let me sleep for seven and get up and be fine. And I was experimenting with seven, seven and a half hours. And I found that actually for me to be my optimal eight hours and 15 minutes is my sweet spot. And for a lot of people, they're like, wow, you're sleeping a lot. That's a lot of time. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm at my best. Like, that's what I want. Why would I want to sleep seven, have an extra hour and 15 minutes, but then lose four hours because I'm unproductive and unhappy and not at my best. That's the opportunity cost that you have to measure. See, we're measuring, like, what could I do with one an hour and 15 minutes? My question to you is, what's your energy during that one hour and 15 minutes that you gained from taking it away from your sleep? And, and my, I believe that the ability to be productive in less time is more powerful than to spread it over more time. So I, I, I do that 10 a.m. and 6 a.m. is when I wake up usually. I've trained myself after that eight hours, 15 minutes. I know that's how much I'm going to sleep, so I don't wake up to an alarm. Uh, I really enjoy waking up without an alarm. If you need an alarm because you, and I, and I don't sleep in or snooze in, by the way. I'm, I'm up at that time because my body is now used to it. But one thing I'd recommend is don't wake up to your phone and don't have your phone in your bedroom before you go to bed. So get a real alarm clock. I remember ordering when I first did this, a little Timex alarm clock. And I would lock my phone and my laptop in my car outside so that I wouldn't even go to them. So I would lock them the night before because it was so easy for me to just leave my phone there. And so when I wake up in the morning, again, I can't look at my phone, my alarm wakes me up. And this is one thing I'd really add. The sound you wake up to is so important for your mental state. And this is not spoken about enough. Most of the sounds that wake up in the morning, whether it's your mom or dad shouting at you, or whether it's a really annoying alert tone, which most phones have, Those are actually shocking you into being awake. You're now waking up with anxiety and now you're carrying that anxiety throughout the day. Waking up to nature sounds, waking up to calming sounds, waking up to the sound of a gong or cymbals or uh, ocean sounds, like sounds like that are so much better for you to wake up to. Because imagine literally like, imagine trying to, you know, how many cars can go from zero to 60 miles per hour in two to three seconds, not many. And when you're putting your foot on the gas like that with a jolt and a shock, your body's now waking up in shock. And so I would really be careful about the first thing you see in the morning and the first thing you hear in the morning, because those two things, those senses are so powerful. 
Wow. Uh, the the senses it seems obvious but it's as you mentioned like this is not uh something that a lot of people talk about i think an alarm i mean just think of the word alarm alarm it's i mean that's the name of that's the noun right and um man and yeah some of those uh ring tones on on phones and whatnot yeah, and alarm means danger. You just, you know, alarm means danger. Like you, you, a fire alarm, right? You think of an alarm as like, if the alarm goes off, some, you know, I've got to do something right away. So imagine you're waking up with that feeling. That's not, you wake up in that state. You're now carrying that state. And, and this part's in the book where I talk about how you can shift environments and experiences by shifting sights, sense, and sounds. So the three things that you can do to transform a place or an energy is changing the sights, the sense, and the sound. So for most of us, we see our phones all day and we see notifications, that causes stress. The sound that we hear every day is just noise and background noise and you know maybe even just loud noises and construction work. Again, that's not a positive sound. And the scent that we smell is just random food or whatever it may be. But now you can change that. What's the first thing you see in the morning? Make it a painting that you love. Me and I've been admiring this beautiful work of art behind Chase since we started this interview, I want to get the same piece of work now, maybe make it myself. And and it's just like, when you wake up to that, it's inspiring. Like we came onto the live and I saw that and I was naturally inspired. We're triggered visually, so it's so important. Uh, scents, lavender, eucalyptus, these scents calm you down. Imagine if you were breathing that in while you work. You're constantly reminding yourself to calm yourself down when you see a stressful email. And finally, sounds putting on some music in the background, putting on a quote in the background, putting on some, putting this on in the background or in the foreground. When you're having sounds in your life that empower you so you can change your experience of any environment. And right now you can, I did this quick fun video for Instagram where I walked around my home and in two minutes or in less than that, I changed every environment to be a positive environment because I don't have a huge home. And so if you don't have a huge home or a huge apartment, you can still change the energy by changing the sights, sounds, and scents. So much practical advice. I wanna talk about two things now. I wanna take some questions because on this note of practicality, you're talking about senses and sounds and and controlling what you can in your environment in this uncertain time. Uh, And I got a great question in from Bahar, uh, who wants advice on how to support people you love in this time who are less open to communicating. I want to reach out to them, he says, but I don't want to make it hard for them by my reaching out. So do you have a recommendation or a prescription on how, how to help someone who doesn't think they need help or um, might not be inclined to ask for it? And specifically in this time that we're in right now, what can we do to help others that we're close to? Yeah, beautiful question. And thank you for asking that. I think you know, when, when this first happened as well, the reason why I did my daily meditations or the reason why we're doing this today and getting it out there is I always feel like you can't find happiness in everything and you can't find joy necessarily, but you can find service. And that's why service is so powerful because if you're always wanting to be in service, you can always find a place in anything that's happening. And service can be as simple as calling one person or hosting a live broadcast like this with thousands of people like service isn't bound by numbers or titles or you know as martin luther king would say to us like it's not bound by what degree you have and all that kind of stuff it's just whether you care or not and so 
the first thing I'd say is that people often struggle to be talked to one-on-one at this time, and they find it awkward if you reach out to them. So invite them to group hangouts. So, you know, have a group hangout with a bunch of great people that you all know and love and invite them to that. And when they know that there are other people who are alone who are also joining, they drop their guard and they join in as well. So that's one thing that you can do is group meetups. The second thing I recommend is introduce people to stuff they love, not the stuff you want them or you think is the gap. So you may think they need to work out more, but you sending them a video of a workout may actually annoy them because they'll just be like, well, you know I can't get into this at the moment. So instead, sending them something that inspires them or makes them laugh or something that they enjoy or a piece of content or an influencer or a creator that they follow, sending them something by that person that has the message might get through to them more than you actually telling them the message. So sometimes you have to get out of your own way because you're not the best person to tell that person what to do. Someone else may be and you can find that to do that. And, and the third one I'd say is that there are plenty of people out there who also do want you to reach out to them and they do want help. Start with those, you know, start with the people who are craving it, who are needing it, who are looking for it. And you'll see that the people that may not have been, may have been apprehensive at first will come around. Beautiful, beautiful, so practical. And I love the idea of giving something someone more of something that they want versus your own. Like we all have our own love languages. You know, this is a, uh, a common understanding that, um, I'm trying to get better at because we're so egocentric, not just in the West, but I think as humans, um, as a survival baked in our biology, if you will. Um, what are you, are there some specific tools that you've done, um, you know, in studying with the monks or in now your life as a, uh, a leader in um, the videos that you share online. Are there some things that you've done to disconnect with your ego? Are there some specific actions that you take on a regular basis that you feel like will get you out of the self-centeredness that so much of us, um, I go, get absorbed in? Um, and and how do you manage uh, yourself away from that? What are some specific uh, tactics that we might learn from you? Yeah, that's such a great question. And so when we were monks, we did this habit and activity where we would write out the script of our ego. So whenever we experienced ego, we would literally write it out. And if you don't like writing, you can voice note it as well. So I always recommend this to people. Anytime someone tells you to journal or reflect or be grateful, if you don't like writing, you can always voice note. And sometimes hearing it in your own voice is quite useful as well. So we would write out the script of the ego, how the ego talks to us, how the ego tricks us, how the ego makes you feel and and messes around with your emotions. And then we would literally physically write a replacement script of what we wanted to think at that time instead of letting the ego lead. So just like in a role play, if you don't come up with a new script, you will always go back to the default script. And so it's very important. So for us, we were trained that whenever you experience ego and self-centeredness, it's really good to replace that with gratitude for those who have given to you, for gratitude to those who have helped you. So for example, if someone if someone says to me like, oh, Jay, like you've done this, and you know, Chase gave me a wonderful introduction, my natural model in that time is to think about the people who've given me the skills, the qualities, and the abilities to do what Chase is congratulating me on. And, and I'll often fold my hands or I'll, uh, I'll put my hand to my heart because I'm just sharing that with the people that shared that skill with me. And what that does is amazing. What it does is it boosts your self-esteem because you realize people care about you and they love you. 
and you get an opportunity to be grateful. So now you've boosted your immune system and your mood in two ways. You feel loved and you've been grateful. So you've just increased your ability to feel joy and happiness in that day. Uh, another way to deal with ego that I think is really, really important is ego often makes us envious and it makes us compare ourselves to other people. And it's always trying to be better or consider itself worse. And sometimes the ego makes this mistake of extremes. You're either the best or you're the worst as well, right? Like the ego does these two extremes. Like I'm not just going to be bad. I'm not just having a bad day. I'm having the worst day of all time because the ego wants to be the best of the best and the best of the worst as well. And so one way to monitor that, I find, especially feeling the worst and feeling like our life is the worst, it's really important to gain perspective and see how you can support others through their challenges. And they found this with people who are struggling with mental health and depression. When they helped others with whatever people needed around them, their happiness and their joy actually increased because they got to gain perspective through service. So even if you feel you have nothing to serve with, guess what? If you make a phone call to an elderly person and just say hello and help them or deliver some groceries off, and you don't have to have anything to do those things, that in itself will boost your mood. So if you think about serving and you think about giving, what that does is it allows you an opportunity to give and you again start to feel useful and you start to see the value in what you have to offer. So I'd say script writing, gratitude and service are probably my favorite ways. Incredible. Incredible. Thank you for that uh, prescription, if you will. And in addition to that prescription, I want to invite people to uh, tap into your 20 day meditation challenge. Um, I myself have been a meditator for a long time, but I have seen so many people, um, not just in your feed, but in my feed talking about your 20 day meditation challenge. That's I was awesome. wondering if, yeah, if you can, uh, share a little bit of, of that with the people who are tuned in today from all over the world. And just a quick shout out to Nelson and, uh, yeah, Nelson BC. We've got Stockholm. We've got Montana in the house, Cincinnati, um, we truly, oh, we got a Malaysia, we truly have a global audience. So I wanted to uh, give you an opportunity to, to tell people a little bit more about your meditation challenge. Yeah. And I want to thank you, everyone who's listening or watching right now. Just thank you for choosing insight at this time, because it's so easy to, again, use this time as like a default and going back to all your old habits and forgetting about all this stuff. And it's like, I find having these conversations, listening into these conversations, watching what people are doing, like it's it's inspiring me to not just, you know, not just um, sit there and go backwards at this time, but to to really try and move forward, especially once this is all over. Yeah, the 20, 20 days of live meditation were just again, <clears throat> it's looking at a scenario and going, well, what skills do I have to give at this time? I'm not a doctor, I'm not a healthcare professional, I'm not a nurse, I can't go out there on the front lines to help. But I, I know meditation and I think meditation is gonna serve and help and support a lot of people right now because I want you to be the best partner, the best parent, the best person you can. And you need clarity of mind for that. You need to be able to clear away all the noise for that. So if I can serve people in that way. And so every day I've been live on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube teaching meditation or guiding meditation, not even teaching, guiding meditations for about 20 minutes and then I explain what, what I'm doing there. We've had some incredible guests who've come on as well and guests who are friends that have shared their practices and their prayer practices. And really it's just a time of the day where you feel united with everyone who's doing it at the same time and you get that clarity so you can move forward. So it's just, 
if, if you want to come and experience it, if you're someone who's been meditating for years, it's still beautiful because there's lots of people. And if you're new to meditation, then it's super easy and simple. And I guide you through the whole process. So it's 9.30 a.m. Pacific uh, every single day. We actually ended the 20th day today and lots of people were saying they want me to continue. So I'm not continuing tomorrow, but I am going to figure out a way to uh, keep going on. So stay tuned on my pages and I'll let you know. But it's you can find the recordings on Facebook and on YouTube. They've all been archived, so you can still do the old ones that we did. Yeah, that was going to be my recommendation is that uh, you can turn to those things. And we'll put some, uh, maybe someone on my team can put a note in the comments where the link to Jay's 20-day meditation challenge is to make that easy for everybody. Um, I've been seeing some questions here. I can't track them all because they're moving rather quickly. But uh, this idea of... You know, we are in the middle of a pandemic. As you said before, we should be graceful with ourselves because there's no sort of set of plans that one would have made to be able to um, accommodate or account for that. Even for people whose job it is to think about things like this have been caught relatively flat footed. So it's fair to expect that, you know, us, us lay people may find ourselves in a position that we or not may certainly are finding ourselves in a position we didn't expect to be in. Um, what tools do you have for a sort of recognizing that and not judging it, living in grace with ourselves? That's thing one. And then two, how can we view this alone time as as solitude of uh, of spirit rather than loneliness? Yeah, absolutely. And let, let's start on that one and then move backwards. So <clears throat> I think, um, you know, I, I've been mentioning a lot recently that we talk a lot about loneliness in the world as a weakness. And, you know, when kids are lonely, we say, oh, they're not popular or they don't have a lot of friends. Those are the terms we use to describe the negative experience. So we're actually told to never be alone. Like we, we're kind of taught that if you're alone, then that's a bad thing. And when I lived as a monk and you know, I, I was taught about solitude and the power of being alone and the power of enjoying your own company and the power of being able to deal with your mind. And so in solitude, that's often sometimes the time when you find yourself. That's often the time when you can explore yourself. That's often the time when it's highly uncomfortable, but that discomfort leads to discovery and lets you learn more and more about yourself. So it's like uncomfortable for like the first two, three days, four days, but then you break through. And when you have that breakthrough, you learn more about yourself than before. And that happens through questioning. It happens through reflection. It happens through listening to podcasts like this, where you're hearing people conversate and contemplate over these topics. And it comes from finding one thing that you can do every day, whether it's reading from a book or, you know, I've been, <clears throat> I've been messing around with this recently and it doesn't have to be this one, but I was reorganizing my bookshelf, which I recommend as a great activity right now, mm. uh, because you always discover new stuff. And so I found this book, and I don't think I've ever even looked at it. It's called The Book of Questions. And it's just, and I'm not, I don't even know the author or anything, so I'm not, I'm not at all promoting in that way. I, I literally just skimmed through it, and there's 200 and, one second, I'm just checking to be right. There's 291 questions in this book, and you can just flick to any of them, and, and there's just some deep philosophical questions in here. So here's, here's one. For, I'm just, I flicked through it. I've not chosen this for any other reason. It's 109. For extraordinary wealth, would you be willing to have terrifying nightmares every night for a year? Right? That's the question. And it's a good discussion to have with yourself, with a friend. And it, and it sparks a new conversation that isn't just what happened in the news today. What's the alerts today? What's the latest on COVID-19? Because 
if the alert is not central to your state or your family or a place that impacts you, you're hearing about stuff that's just not actually helping you or supporting you. And most of what we're hearing are just alerts that are keeping our attention, but they're not solving it. So you need to find not escapes, but ways to elevate your mind through looking at things that can help you reflect and think in that way. So that would be something that I would recommend for that being alone. And the other thing I'd mention is that you're not alone because everyone's having a shared experience right now. And when you're having a shared experience, it means you are more understood than ever before. It's like if everyone's been through a breakup, you can now relate to that person because you've both been through a tough breakup. Well, right now, everyone's going through that tough breakup. And people are going through different levels, of course, as well. And so in that, recognize where can you, where do you have more than someone else and where can you help? And where does someone have more than you and they can support you and start building that connection? There's a beautiful story that my teacher would tell about the redwood trees uh, and the redwood trees, uh, their, their roots don't go down and deepwards, they go far and wide because they connect with the roots of other redwood trees. So these tall trees in this forest, actually the small trees and the big trees are interconnected through their roots. So they're all feeding and supporting each other. And it's not just, you know, the uh, survival of the fittest or let me just get my roots to go deep it's actually interconnected roots so i really believe that the more we can encourage us to you know to to reach out to people in any way the more you're going to feel that this connectedness so you don't feel that loneliness and that can be something as simple as a virtual game night or a virtual workout or it can be something like a meditation right it it can be anything that you need at that time and uh, don't don't feel the pressure to achieve anything right away but do use the time to start planning and creating and reflecting because there's only so long you can also watch movies watch tv play playstation you you run out of energy for that after a while too and so exhaust it get rid of all of that and then and then get on with it brilliant um I want to try and summarize a, a theme that I'm seeing in the comments um, and a question that came up for me earlier. You shared um, a nugget of wisdom about journaling or the process of recording a voice message. Um, there's a question. I'm going to credit this with Francis Mejia. Um, but Francis asks, have you developed a favorite way to capture inspired moments to use as fuel when you get into the execution part of your journey? you know, finds it personally hard to keep going. So would appreciate any advice here. And it seems really prescient and timely. Now we're exploring, we're all exploring and trying to find new ways to, you know, capture these sometimes fleeting moments of inspiration. Do you have anything that you prescribe or what are, what are you, um, what are you coaching, coaching and mentoring people to do uh, as mechanisms for capturing inspiration and being able to put it to use when it matters most? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's a common technique used in therapy, and I learned it from meditation, but I know that therapists and psychologists use it today as well. And it's called the 54321 technique. So whenever you are, and this is, people use it for grounding, but I, I often share it for creating memory. So often we have this term of like, uh, take a mental picture, right? Like how can I, how can I mentally capture and keep this moment in my mind forever, not just on my photo gallery? So here's how you do that. When you're in that moment, and if you're not in that moment and it's already happened, you can relive that moment through this. 
Five mm. things that you can see in that space. What are the five things? And actually go through them. One, two, three, four, five. It could be the person, the stage, the curtains, the TV, the window. Then four things you can touch in that space. Maybe it was the clothes you were wearing. What were you wearing that day? Maybe it's your laptop in front of you. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's a desk. What are four things? Three things that you can hear. What are the three things that you can hear in that space? It could be someone's voice. It could be music. Two things you can smell and one thing you can taste. When you engage all of your senses in that way, you can either fully relive a memory or fully capture a memory. Now, the mistake we make is we do that once and then we never look at it again. How many times have you taken a picture on your phone and never looked at it ever again? Oh, I think, uh, I'm just, I think, you know, you, I'm going to, you just went to the questions book. I'm going to go to my phone and say, how many photos do I have? Uh, oh, geez. Mm, 66,209. There you go. How many times have you looked at it? And so in your memory bank, you've done the same thing. And so what's really, really important is that you relive that memory daily if you need to. Daily, spend three minutes meditating on that memory and feeling the energy that you felt from that memory. You have to do it daily. It's not something you do once a week. I remember at one point in time, I used to listen to the Steve Jobs uh, commencement speech at Stanford. I used to listen to it every single day. And I, I kid you not, like those words have penetrated my heart so deeply that so many of them became reality for me because I was just listening to it every single day. And in order to speak of my monk teachers that I used to hear every single day. So you have to make it, you have to turn your inspiration into a daily habit. If you love a quote, write it down, wake up to that quote, put it on your screensaver, make it the desktop background, put it in a big frame on your wall, say it to yourself three times, 11 times a day, like whatever it is that inspires you, you have to turn that moment into a daily habit. And these are just some of the ideas and the way to do it. And, and just get started with trying to extend that moment. And the best way to extend it is also, this is true, that I was saying recently that we remember the bad times more than the good times. Because when we go through a bad experience, we cry for a month. And when we go through, go through something good, we celebrate for a day. Notice the difference. If something goes wrong, you will complain about it on every phone call. You'll put it up on social media. You'll tell everyone about it. But if something goes good, you say it once and then you let it go away. We, we feel scared to celebrate good stuff or we, we feel scared to extend a feeling of joy. I'm not saying get drunk every night. Like that's not my point. But my point is how can you extend that experience of a positive experience? It's what we do in the comment section. You see a negative comment, you'll think about it for months. You see a positive comment, you'll say, oh, that's nice. That's cool. They said this was an amazing podcast. Okay, who cares? Who cares? You, you don't look at that until someone says something wrong. So it's so important that we, when you've had a positive experience in your life, write about it, voice note it, tell the story through an Instagram post, share it with your friend, really extend that moment out and don't just let it die because you're waiting for the next good thing to happen. Well, speaking of daily habits, um, I know lots of people out there are in the habit of listening to your podcast every day. And congratulations on the, the, the barnstorming success, number one health podcast, um, a number one podcast in India, um, according to Spotify. And tell me a little bit about the passion that you have for creating this and 
for people who may be new to the podcast, what is what is it that you try and uh, as, as some of the core messages there and what can people expect with your very successful pad, podcast called On Purpose, which is a beautiful little double entendre. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, so I've been making videos. I've been making videos for about two years when I launched the podcast. And the videos have obviously always been four minutes. And I never felt that I could truly share what I wanted to share in four minutes. And I really wanted to have a space where if people connected with my thoughts and my learnings and the wisdom I've learned and gained from the teachers that I've been fortunate enough to have, I wanted a space where I could actually share them. So every Friday on my podcast, I launch a 30 minute solo episode where it's me sharing an insight on a particular topic for 30 minutes. And my key themes for anyone who's interested or new to me are self, work, love, and service. So self is your relationship with you. I believe there are four big decisions we make in our life. How we feel about ourselves, what we do for work, who we give our love to, and how we serve the world. So every week I will take one of those topics like work and I will break it down into passion, purpose, money management, wealth management, financial literacy, or we'll break it down into love and relationships, breakups, dating, marriage, and we'll go deeper and deeper into those subjects. And then every Monday I interview a guest. Now the guest segment happened because I had these incredible friends and relationships offline and we were having these really meaningful discussions and a lot of people didn't even know that those people had discussions like this. And I was like, we need to record this and share it. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. And so we started to do that because I wanted people to recognize that there is so much more to people than we see on a three minute TV interview or that you see on that entertainment slot or that you see in the two second interview after someone's won a championship. People are so much more deeper. We often say people are more complex. I think people are a lot more interesting and curious when you actually get to speak to them for an hour, an hour and a half. So my goal with the Monday episodes has been to share what people don't hear about the people that they know already and so that you can learn more about this person, about their purpose, how they built their incredible careers, how they found the love of their lives, how they transformed their lives through the toughest decisions and the toughest moments. And so, yeah, we've just been really grateful to have incredible thinkers and doctors and scientists all the way through to some of the biggest athletes and celebrities in the world. So it's just been, it's been really meaningful to me because I feel I'm able to go even deeper and give so much more impact and service to people. But thank you for letting me share that, Chase. I appreciate it. Of course. And, you know, I feel like uh, with my podcast also now 10, I think 10, 11 years running. That's amazing. Dude, congrats. That is awesome. There's a little bit of selfishness. Such a good interviewer. There you go. That's, see, that's where it comes from, guys. 11, Chase has asked me questions today that have inspired me so much that I've shared more from my book than I planned on because it's not coming out for a while. And, and more importantly, just I, I love that I, there are so many things I've said on this podcast that I've never said before. And, and so it just shows you 11 years of asking questions makes you really good at it. Like that should be a strong reminder for all of us. You know? So thank you, Chase. Oh, you're crafty. I didn't expect you to turn that around on me and say nice things, but I'll take it. Thanks, bud. Um, What I was really referring to is there's a little bit of a selfishness for me. I found that inspiration comes from so many different areas. I think um, in 
you know, in the monk world, so much inspiration comes from the monastery. And yet when you left that world, I'm guessing you could see inspiration everywhere. And as a lifelong photographer, I spent so much time focused on the, the photography industry that as soon as I was able to lift my head, say, wait a minute and take inspiration from the Jean-Michel Basquiat's and the Andy Warhol's and the people in my own creative community here in Seattle. And um, th this, there's a little bit of selfishness that inspiration can come from anywhere. So I'm curious, what are some places that you seek inspiration? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, you know what, this is, this is how weird it is. Like, because when you started mentioning Jean-Michel Basquiat, who I loved, I, I studied, uh, art was my favorite A-level, A-level in the UK is you study it from 16 to 18. And then I did arts and antiques markets as an elective at at, um, at college, which I absolutely loved as well. And funny enough, I did not plan this, but I'm wearing this, which you will recognize. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, and I've got a whole, Ed, Ed it's not my brand, so I'm not, I'm not doing a quick promo, but it's got the, it's got the art on the back. Um, this, the famous screen pick. It's so weird. Eh? There's synergy in that. I, I did not plan to wear this at all for today. So, uh, yeah, I look for learning in, the connections. So I find connecting random dots that people don't know connect more interesting than things in and of themselves. So I'll give an example. Uh, there's, there's a great story of Mark Zuckerberg. I think it's about in 2009, he's confused with the direction of Facebook and he approaches his mentor at the time, Steve Jobs, great mentor to have, and says to him, he says, I'm really confused about the direction of Facebook, what do I do? And now in this situation, you know, Steve Jobs in 2009 can call up pretty much anyone in the world, he can do anything he wants, he could say, go and meet these venture capitalists or speak to this brand strategist or speak to the founder of this or whatever. And Steve Jobs says to him, he says, you should go and spend time in this ashram in India because when you spend time in this ashram, you'll realize the answer to your question. And so if anyone has studied Steve Jobs' life, he was, he was a highly spiritual person and, and in, you know, interested in that world. And what I love is that he, and, and Mark actually followed up and Mark tells this story, Mark followed up, went to the ashram, and he said that's where he got inspired to make Facebook about connecting people. And, and what I love about that story is that inspiration and connection and learning comes when we see the connection between two paradoxes, between an oxymoron, between two ideas that wouldn't naturally be juxtaposed, when you put them together, that's what creates it. And then Steve Jobs would always say, creativity is just connecting things. And so to me, that's when I learn, when I'm looking at something, I'm like, how does, so I try and look at modern science and I'll be like, where does that connect to monk wisdom? Let me find the parallel. Or how do you get something to be really personal but be really scalable. How do you get, you know, so I'm really fascinated by paradoxes and oxymorons and things that aren't meant to match. And I love trying to figure out ways that they work. And I feel like, I feel life is a paradox. Like I'm a paradox, you're a paradox. Like I'm a, I'm a former monk who loves media and loves sharing messages through media. Like that doesn't make sense, but why does it have to make sense? Why does it have to fit into a box or a title? Why can't we just, explore and learn and discover. So to me, that's where I get most fascinated and that's where uh, I get more, most interested and curious when I can connect things that are random. Uh, and there's this great study that MIT did 
where they showed the comparison between two networks. And you can probably find this online. I think it was a study that Dan O'Reilly showed. So Dan O'Reilly, A-R-I-E-L-Y, incredible author. And he shows this example and, and they look at the n- networks of two employees. And network one, everyone knows everyone who knows everyone back. And network two, you know a lot of people that don't know each other. And they found that people who have a more diverse set of friends, family, community, and network are more creative and innovative and come up with better ideas because they're exposed to more. So if you're friends with everyone who's friends with everyone who knows everyone back, you're living in this echo chamber and limiting your growth. Whereas you can have that. We all have that. I have that. Like me and Chase have mutual friends. And this is a great conversation. But I also have random monk friends living in the middle of nowhere who are affected differently by different things. Or you have friends in different places, in different positions, and from all areas of society. And that gives you so much breadth. So to me, that's where I get excited. Sorry, that's a long answer to that question. No, but it's a it's a beautiful answer. And as you said earlier with podcasts, that's what we're here for. We're here for the depth and and not just the one minute TV answer. And Jay, just just uh, want to give you a shout out. It's knowing that you, as self-described, they're um, thriving in paradox and you know our ability to hold things that seem to be competing against one another to hold those in the same space. Uh, it's no wonder that you're thriving uh, in this current time because we're at a time where so many people are afraid and there is a lot of tough stuff happening. But it seems like now there's been a reset and there's um, opportunity here that didn't exist uh, even just four weeks ago. So um, it's no wonder that you're you're thriving and you're so articulate. We've got comments streaming in from all over the world. I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I want to remind folks that you do have a book coming out in the fall. It's never too early to pre-order uh, authors. Um, having been through this myself in the fall, um, pre-orders mean a lot and, uh, want to give you congratulations on your new book, think like a monk, which will be out in the fall. So don't hesitate to pick that up folks, but just take a moment, acknowledge your wisdom and, um, and success and greatness and your ability to, to add value to the lives of so many, including me in our conversation today. I want to say thank you. Chase, I had so much fun today, man. This was fantastic and uh, beyond all of my expectations. I, I, I'm a big follower and love your work too. And I can't wait to return the favor. And now I feel the pressure to ask you some really good questions. So <laughs> I'm excited, man. It would be really, really good. But honestly, I had such a great time talking to you today. And I, I would let people know, like, you know, the final thing I'd like to say is just give yourself, afford yourself. And I like making things memorable because that's how my mind works, because it means you can repeat it and make it a daily habit. So afford yourself the time to feel your pain right now, to feel sadness for your loss, to whatever you're going through, because I know all of us are going through different levels of emotional struggle right now. So first of all, afford yourself the time to do that. Second of all, once you've done that, You know, that's the time when it's you getting ready to adjust and adapt, right? Then figure out what you're going to do to adjust and adapt. And that may take you a week or two in just playing around with a lot of different stuff and routines and productivity and schedules and whatever it takes. Adjust and adapt. And finally, when you've adjusted and adapt, then you'll get into a flow where you can just move. And then you have to do the whole process again. Remember that nothing is permanent. You have to become cyclical even in developing processes 
You know, so like one of my favorite things that I talk about, which I've done for a while, which is stuck, is is this thing here. So every time I get distracted, I turn this over and I allow myself to be distracted for as long as this runs out. And then as soon as it's fully done, I get back to my work. And so I found timing my distraction really helps me. And so let these habits evolve and construct new ones in the process and then let go of the old ones. Like it's a consistent process. There's no permanence to even processes of productivity, right? There's no permanence in that. So don't don't look for permanence. Look for experiment, experience, and exploration. Those are much better places to live. Spoken like a true monk. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for sharing your wisdom with us, friend. Uh, again, I'll, I'll, on behalf of the global community that's tuned in here and, and we at Creative Live, I want to say a huge thanks for your time today. Um, I'm looking forward to being on your show at the time, the time that sure. we can make that happen. And uh, of course, again, just a reminder, folks out there, On Purpose, Jay's podcast, uh, pick up his book, which is coming out here in the fall. Um, he's at Jay Shetty. Where else would you steer people, Jay? What's, yeah, uh, what's at Jay Shetty on Instagram, On Purpose, the podcast, on every podcast platform would be great places. And I and I do appreciate, Jay. So like, you know, if, if anyone's been touched by this conversation today, I'd, I'd love for you to pre-order the book because it it is, as Jay said, important for authors. And, and more importantly, it's just, you know, everything that I've talked about today, I really get into in the book as well. So, yeah, if, if any of this touched you or made a difference, if any of my podcasts or videos have had any impact on you, it would mean the world to me, honestly, uh, if you pre-ordered it. So, yeah, thinklikeamonkbook.com is is the uh, URL. But, yeah, thank you, man. That, this was amazing. I had so much fun, and uh, I can't wait to finally connect in person. In person, and it's coming soon, we hope. Fingers crossed. Yeah. My man, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I hope you have a fantastic week. Thank you, everyone. Wishing you all love as well. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining in. Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice. I can't even tell you so much juice that when I hit publish and this show goes out into the ether, that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple Podcast page and others in Spotify, etc. And that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here. Whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feed, tagging me and the guests. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love to share your shoutouts in my feed too. Um, not only do these shoutouts uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So, again, want to say thanks i'm just at chase jarvis you can use at creative live as well and the guests are easy to track down because they are well they're usually quite well-known people um but again thank you so much for listening i'm looking forward to being in your ears again hopefully tomorrow